Harry Morris isn't scared anymore. I could feel my heart beating in my chest again. And then having the LVAD for nine months, my first reaction was like, uh oh, where is it? And then I started feeling around on my left side and it was gone. And then I realized, okay, I got a new heart. When you have the LVAD, you really don't feel your heart beating. And then afterwards, when I got the transplant, I could feel it in my chest again, which was a wonderful feeling. This is Let's Talk Hope, a podcast devoted to sharing stories and turning tragedies into triumphs. And today my guest is Harry Morris, a heart and kidney recipient, who's here to tell us his story and his journey of transplantation. Harry, can you tell us a little bit about your journey, how it started, how you came to need a heart and kidney transplant? Um, my situation started um, several years ago in uh, the late 90s. I had uh, what's called angina. I had to go into a hospital and get angiogram and a uh, angioplasty. That kind of helped for a little bit. And then I developed uh, scar tissue. And then uh, my chest pains and uh, shortness of breath started and uh, started a journey of going back and forth into the hospital taking different medications, um, visiting my cardiologist on a, a regular basis. And then it led into, um, I had congestive heart failure. I saw a um, special uh, cardiologist for several years. They tweaked my medications. I had to uh, go on and off different things and they uh, checked that. I ended up having to get a um, pacemaker. That actually helped a little. Things got worse, and they had to change the pacemaker out into a pacemaker defibrillator. Got shocked a few times, back and forth again, being hospitalized uh, with a congestive heart failure. They ultimately told me that um, because of the heart failure, I would eventually one day need a heart. They um, referred me to what's called a heart failure cardiologist. I had never heard of that before. I didn't know there was such a thing, but I did that went to uh, see him at uh, Advocate Christ Medical Center. Uh, they took care of me again. They um, switched up my medications and they told me that I needed what's called an LVAD, which is a left ventricular assistance device, fancy name for a uh, heart pump. They uh, implanted that in February of 2014. I uh, did pretty good. I was able to uh, breathe again, fairly normal um, activity and um, they put me on the uh, transplant waiting list. Had the uh, LVAD, LVAD, pardon me, for uh, nine months. I got the call in uh, November of the same year, 2014. And on um, November 13th, they transplanted my heart. And then uh, within 24 hours, they transplanted my uh, kidney. That's the situation I'm in now, staying healthy and doing my best. That's great. So, Harry, was your heart disease? hereditary? Had you known about it? What led to the actual diagnosis for the heart disease? I'm not sure if it was hereditary. Um, when I was a small child, I uh, they mentioned something about my grandfather having heart trouble, but they didn't make it seem serious. I don't know if that was part of it. I don't know if it was anything that I had done. Uh, I don't know if it was a diet or anything like that. I, I exercised and uh, I was pretty active, so uh, I'm not really sure what led to it. Well, it's a good thing that you uh, get diagnosed when you did. 
most people consider angina not to be as serious as hypertension in all of its iterations. And so it's good that you found out when you did. And as you talked about the heart transplant and then having to have the kidney transplant a couple of days later, what led to you having to need the kidney transplant? I had talked to my nephrologist and uh, my, being in that situation, I had to speak with uh, a number of doctors and with my nephrologist, I had several conversations and he just told me, honestly, he said, Harry, if you get the heart transplant, that's fine. There's no guarantee that your kidney function will return. So he told me um, if I did it with just a heart and that went in and the kidney function didn't return, I would have to be relisted to get a kidney transplant. Now, I was very comfortable and very confident in the transplant team I had. So I just simply said, whatever you feel is best, we'll go that route. They called me the day of to let me know that um, they found a heart. Um, They said, well, you know, get your bags together and get ready. Come on in. They inspect the organs first, and they had to do that. So I went in, and they didn't do it that day. I think they did it later on. And after I got the heart transplant, that's when I found out I also had the kidney transplant. So it was a complete shock when I woke up, and, you know, I had both. I mean, which was good. I was happy, but I had no idea before it happened. And Harry, what was it like when you got the phone call that they found a heart for you? You know, to be honest, it's a very happy moment. Um, You're excited, but at the same time, it's very scary because uh, everything is coming to fruition. It's uh, it's real. You you worry a little. It's kind of joy and anxiety all in the same moment. So uh, I got through that and um, everything worked out. Uh, Harry, as you know, Tanisha Basham received a heart transplant several years ago from her sister's best friends, unfortunately passing of her 19-year-old daughter, and it was a directed donation. And when Tanisha woke up from her heart transplant, she heard this pounding noise and she couldn't figure out what that noise was. So she asked her nurse, what is that noise? And the nurse said, it's your heart. She hadn't really recognized what her own heart sounded like after so many years of waiting for a transplant. How was it when you woke up? What did what what was the feeling? How did you feel? It, it was actually two things. It was that I could feel my heart beating in my chest again. And then having the LVAD for nine months, my first reaction was like, oh, where is it? And then I started feeling around on my left side and it was gone. And then I realized, okay, I got a new heart. But yeah, um, I remember Tanisha saying that. And I, I felt the same way because when you, you have the LVAD, you really don't feel your heart beating. And then afterwards, when I got the transplant, I could feel it in my chest again, which was a wonderful feeling. That's congratulations on your heart. And what was the feeling like when you realized that, you know, you received a heart, you received a kidney and and some other family was going through a, a painful transition? You always think of that when you're a heart recipient, you always want to pay respect to your, your donor and your donor family, even if you're not able to meet them. But every day you, you appreciate what they did. They were kind and loving enough to, uh, sacrifice so someone else can go on. So I I always think about that and uh, it's always on my mind. And have you had a chance to write your donor family? 
I did. I wrote it a long time ago and um, never heard anything. I'm going to uh, try and write again. And I understand sometimes people grieve in different ways and they might not want to respond, but I'm still going to try. Oh, well, good. You know, it, it will come a day, you know, in donor family services, we always talk about trying, right? And just trying and let them know that you're thinking about them. And that's the most important you can do. And, you know, to give them an update on how you're doing. Uh, now, question. Okay. Now, did you get married before the heart transplant or after? <laughs> Marion, I've been married for 35 years. So it was way before the heart transplant. Okay. Okay. Awesome. Because you have a wonderful wife. So just want to make sure, you know, and what is it like, you know, when you're going through this, something like this, you know, what does it mean to have support and especially have a wife of 30 years to support you through, you know, your illnesses and your challenges, and then just to be a kidney and heart recipient with the regiment of medicines that you have to take in managing this new lifestyle? Um, support is actually everything. Um, that's one of the things that a, a transplant center, you know, when you're being uh, evaluated and they go through that, that's one of the questions they ask if, is if you have support at home. This was, uh, I'm not going to sugarcoat it, this was rough for my family and I'm sure it's rough for all transplant families to see a loved one go through it. But my family was um, very supportive. My wife was my uh, main uh, caretaker. Uh, when I had my LVAD, you have to do a lot of things to take care of an LVAD. It has to be sterile. It has to be cleaned on a, a regular basis because it's a, an actual wound. And she did that. She had to uh, change my dressing, clean it, make sure uh, everything involved with that was taken care of. I also had issues where I had fluid in my left lung. So at one point, I had the LVAD and I had a um, Plurix catheter. So she was doing the LVAD. And then she had to drain my left lung. She has no medical training whatsoever. So she did the best she could and she did an excellent job. So uh, support is everything. It makes a, a world of difference. Definitely. And it's important when you talk about those are the two things that can get you through, right? One is having someone to give the selfless gift of donation, but also then having, you know, your family to be understanding of what your needs are in, in your journey towards transplantation. And Harry, I met you several years ago because you have been such an advocate for Gift of Hope. Tell us how and why you became an advocate for donation. I wanted to stay active for one thing. I wanted to give back because I received a gift from somebody and I wanted to um, pay my respects for doing that. I actually was on um, social media and I met Monica Fox. I know you know her. We uh, started having conversations about different things with transplantation and she invited me to come to a Gift of Hope South Suburban chapter meeting. So I went to that and uh, found out what it was about. It really stuck and uh, it sounded like something I would enjoy doing. And I've just been doing it ever since. I enjoy going out in the in-person events and meeting people and talking to them and just uh, letting them know what transplantation is about and how they can uh, help other people. So I, I enjoy it. It's uh, my way of giving back. And why is it so important to give back? So people know the truth. 
they can find out that uh, organ donation is a gift. They can help somebody else. It's a way of uh, honoring life, respecting life, uh, enjoying a life, having a second chance. And uh, I just want to spread that word and advocate that uh, it does make a difference for plenty of people. Awesome. Now, you also, speaking of Monica Fox, you also work for the National Kidney Foundation of Illinois. Yes, I do. I'm uh, the quote-unquote uh, kidney mobile driver. Mm-hmm. We do uh, free uh, kidney health screenings around the state of Illinois. Uh, it's my job to drive back and forth, set things up, tear things down, and then I help with some of the testing, uh, urinalysis, uh, BMI, uh, glucose, uh, things like that. So uh, yeah, Monica and I work together and uh, I, I love doing that. That's a, a, a fun job. What do you think people get out of when you share your story? Did you have such a unique story? Not many people have two organs at one time, particularly as we talk about Black men who sometimes you know, are challenged with going to the hospital or challenged with going to a doctor and sometimes, you know, overlook their health care. But here you have two organs. What would you say, one, to men in general, but two, your unique perspective of being a two-time transplant recipient? The main thing I would want to tell people is to um, be positive, advocate for your own health. I know there's struggles as far as, um, insurance, uh, sometimes transportation issues, just finding a a good physician, but um, try and stay positive. Do what you can as far as uh, visiting a doctor, ask questions. If you have concerns, don't be afraid to uh, go to a physician and talk to them about your concerns. Stay positive. And, you know, you might be in a situation where it's a struggle and you kind of give up hope. I hope my story gives people hope as far as uh, doing what you have to do. Um, you'd be amazed that when things are at their bleakest, um, what you, you're capable of doing. Uh, when you don't have a choice, there's plenty of things that you can do. You just have to be uh, positive. Do what you have to do, in other words. So the main thing I, I want to stress is that I want to give people hope that they can do what they have to do. And hopefully everything will turn out good in the long run. Well, Harry, that's a great point because you mentioned insurance, you mentioned struggle and challenges. What has been your sort of regiment post-transplant? I stay active. For the most part, I'm at home. Um, I go to the gym when I'm not. The kidney mobile runs from um, March until November, so that keeps me pretty busy. When I'm not doing that, I'm usually at home. I, I go to the gym. Um, there have not been a lot of uh, in-person volunteering events with Gift of Hope, and I used to do some things with the uh, Secretary of State's Office, the Life Goes On program. So with the pandemic, that's kind of been shortened or curtailed for the moment. But um main thing, I just try and stay as active as I can. I still have doctor visits and things like that, but activity and just moving around. What's that like for your healthcare regimen in terms of the medicines you're on, the visits, the checkups? What's the usual follow-up for someone who's received a heart and a kidney? Follow-up is um, not bad. The situation when you're a transplant patient, the most important, one of the most important things that you have to be aware of is your uh, compromised immune system. You have to worry about uh, germs, uh, being around sick people. So you always have to stay cognizant of that. With that in mind, if I go out, you know, I wear a mask, 
if I touch something, I usually have hand sanitizer with me. When I was first transplanted, I had to wear a surgical mask and gloves and things like that. But as my um, strength increased, I did away with that. But um, everything, it's workable. Um, most of the doctors are will uh, set appointments up with you so you can schedule it because I have a lot. When you're immunosuppressed, transplant teams want you to see a dermatologist, endocrinologist, the cardiologist, nephrologist, ophthalmologist. So it's a number of things that you have to do because of your immune system. So just be aware of that and everything's good. Great. And that's a good point. Uh, As you mentioned, being immunosuppressant, what has it been like for you in this era of COVID? We've heard a lot of information on the news that talks about people having comorbidities, people being compromised. What has it been like for you for this, you know, now we're going on two years mm-hmm. with COVID. What has it been like for you? I think transplant patients have an advantage because because of our immunosuppressed systems, we're kind of used to being aware of our surroundings and people like touching things, hand sanitizer, covering your mouth, things like that. So it's not easy but I wear a mask when I go out. Um, I have a backpack. I carry my medicine and water, and I have a bag of uh, gloves, and I have a mask with me at all times. So it's not easy, but um, I, I've learned to deal with it. You know, the six feet rule and then the uh, mask, and uh, I wear glasses, so that helps too. So everything's been good so far. I wish it was over like everybody else, but I'm handling it okay as best I can. Good. Yes, we all wish that it was over. And I think the most important thing for it being over is that you miss your friends, you miss your family, you miss that intimacy of a hug or just being around people that you care about. And so have you had to limit your exposure to family with, you know, not only transplant, but with COVID as well? A little. For uh, Christmas, Everybody in my family got uh, vaccinated. So before that, we weren't doing anything um, in person. But once everyone was vaccinated, then we had a gathering. I mean, I'm vaccinated. I'm completely vaccinated. If I'm not sure somebody is, then I'll keep my distance. But family-wise, everybody's vaccinated now. So it's not a problem anymore. No, that's good. It, you know, it was so exciting to see my mother last year for uh, 2020 the end of 2020 for Christmas to, you know, be vaccinated and be able to see her. Cause I think it was hard for her not to be able to see us, to see us on zoom every week. And I think it's important that people continue to stay connected in a way that helps people to navigate not only COVID, but navigate any health challenges that they may have. And so I am I'm very strong on people not only being vaccinated, but being boosted as well. It makes a difference. It, it makes a huge difference. So Harry, as you think about what it is that you want your legacy to be and what you want people to know about not only your journey, um, but also about your advocacy, what are some things that you would want people to know, just one, about your process, but two, about the importance of the process of organ, eye, and tissue donation? Um, One of the main things I would want people to know is that don't always listen to the um, myths and some of the um, 
things that kind of float around uh, in the mist. If you're curious or if you're in a situation where you might need transplantation or a, a loved one, do your research. Uh, speak with a uh, transplant center, uh, depending on the uh, specialty, if it's for your liver or heart or lungs or anything. Uh, do your research. Uh, contact the physician. But uh, there, there's always hope. I think people kind of tend to uh, give up unnecessarily when they can kind of fight and advocate for themselves or for a loved one, just ask around. I mean, it, it takes nothing more than just a phone call sometimes to uh, ask a question to see what they can do on their own uh, for their own health, you know, what could help them in the future. So I would suggest that. And uh, just um, I would like people to always stay hopeful and stay positive and stay willing to do what they, they have to do for their own uh, safety. Great. That's great. A question about what are some things that people need to do to make sure that they are heart healthy? What are some numbers or tests that they should be aware of that they should be talking to their doctors about? Well, um, one thing is just if they're able is to go and get a regular uh, checkup. Uh, you can see a, your um, primary care physician maybe once or twice a year. They will uh, do blood tests. Uh, you can ask for a urine test. Uh, you can do uh, stress tests on a treadmill or they have a, a non-treadmill uh, stress test. But the, the main thing is to start the process and, and see a physician or see a, uh, a advanced practice nurse. And uh, just to check, that'll give you a uh, an idea of where your health is. Putting in a plug for NKFI, uh, go to one of the kidney mobile screenings. That's free. You don't have to worry about having an insurance card or anything like that. And uh, we'll check your kidney. Uh, we do give you receipts. You can uh, take that uh, receipt to your primary uh, uh, healthcare physician and take it from there. But it's just a matter of being diligent. The first thing, just go see your doctor and then you can just take it from there. And that's the best thing to do. Harry, that's interesting. I've worked for Gift of Hope for almost 13 years, it'll be 13 years in April, and have worked alongside uh, National Kidney Foundation of Illinois, worked and seen and been at events with the Kidney Mobile and have never had the screening. I think that even though I do see my doctor regularly as part of our benefits package, I think the next time we're together, I'm going to do the screening because I think it's important to be an example and I think that's something that you and Monica and Jackie Burgess Bishop, you know, really solidify is really being an example and being very, you know, and participating in this process and offering this. And to your point, it's free. Why wouldn't you when you see the kidney mobile? Why wouldn't you do this? And so I think the next time we together, count on it, Harry, I'm going to do the screening. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to us, you know, being back together. And I'd just like to ask you, you know, like to end with, are there any lasting thoughts or last remarks that you'd like to help our audience understand? Stay strong. If you're uh, listed for uh, transplantation, do not give up hope. Uh, the best thing to do is uh, stay positive. I know that might sound a, a little corny, but it does help. It's an up and down situation. It can be kind of hard sometimes, but it's doable. 
So if you're in that situation, um, also advocate for your own health, ask questions, and uh, just stay strong. That's probably the best thing I can tell you to do. Harry, this has been very informative, and I'm very appreciative of you being here today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Mary, and I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Let's Talk Hope, where we encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known. You can register to become a donor at giftofhope.org or by texting the word HOPE, H-O-P-E, to 51555. Hello, Tina Montgomery, Supervisor, Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about the donation process and how it actually works. So what I decided to do is I put all those great questions on our wheel and we're gonna answer some from the audience right now. So let's spin the wheel. And the wheel is going around and around and around and it's landed on Question number nine, can someone who tests positive for COVID-19 be a donor? This is a big issue that's going around in our communities. So let me just give you a really great answer to this. The Gift of Hope, who we are, our organ procurement organizations as a whole, test all potential deceased donors for COVID-19 prior to offering organs for transplant. Potential donors who test positive with active COVID-19 would not be able to donate. If someone recovers from COVID-19, then passes away from something unrelated, donation still may be possible. If you are considering to being a living donor, you will work with your healthcare team to receive a series of health screenings to determine your eligibility, which includes COVID-19 testing. If you test positive for COVID-19, you would not be eligible for living donation until your care team determines donation is safe for you and the recipient. So I want to thank you all for that question. That is a great question. I know it's on the top of many people's minds here during this time. So we've got more questions to get to. So I hope you continue to send them in to us. We will add them to the big wheel and we will give it a spin at the next episode of Let's Talk Hope. Bye. If you like what you've heard today, we hope that you will listen again and wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please visit rivet360.com.